We never wanted to be in a fancy metropolitan broadcast facility where the most thought-provoking thing within view is an occasional four-car pileup on the freeway below. We like being miles from nowhere, in the middle of a vineyard that cannot be seen from the little two-lane road on the other side of that rise. Our barn has awesome acoustics and was built with hand tools over a hundred years ago. Nonetheless, we've got some really state-of-the-art broadcast technology inside. And our wine cellar wants a root cellar that is absolutely packed with wine we've collected or been given by friends. Welcome. You have just set foot on Grape Encounters Radio Property, where we don't believe in no trespassing signs. But let's make this our little secret. Oh, and that wine is protected by the sweetest-looking golden retriever who dated a Doberman for a while, so don't get any ideas. Peel me a grape, crush me some ice, Skin me a peach, save the fuzz for my pillow. You know, there's that core group of guests that I always look forward to having on Grape Encounters Radio. And there's one guy that has not been on for a long time. It seemed like we were talking to him practically every week because he's got so much stuff going on. But now he's just so busy, we can hardly wrestle him to the phone. It's Paul Cullen, and if the name sounds familiar, it's because Paul was the bass player for Bad Company in the early 90s, but he hasn't given up music. He's just added some interesting twists to it and has now put together a program that is so amazing. It's called Tune Your Palette, and it's bringing together the world of music, food, and of course, the most essential ingredient to Grape Encounters Radio, wine. And Paul, welcome to the show. It's been a long time since we have had you on. It really has, David. Gosh, I I can't even remember when. I know we did try to hook up recently, about a month and a half ago. I was actually getting on a plane on my way to Italy, and we weren't able to talk. But gosh, it's great to talk to you. So interesting stuff going on. You left rock and roll touring in the 90s. Well, I guess you still do it from time to time. In fact, I think it was just a couple of years ago, you opened for who? Foreigner, I think it was? Yeah, I opened for Foreigner in St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And you still do the music thing by itself, but mostly now it's food, wine, and music. And Tune Your Palette is a pretty interesting program that you've got going on because, as far as I know, you're the only rock star who will go to somebody's house, cook them dinner, select the wine from all over the world, but probably Italy, and then play music, a mixture of your own take on bad company music and the music of other people, but then you write some amazing jazz music as well. That's the deal. Yeah. I go to people's homes, and they'll invite their friends and family, but most likely friends because they want to have a good time, and they have me take (laughs) over their kitchen for a couple hours, and I'm in there making fresh pasta, gnocchi, pouring cold wines, and you know people hang out in the kitchen with me while I'm cooking. Of course, they can't get too close because they'll lose a finger. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. So I cook for them. I pour really cool Italian wines like Lambrusco, the real deal, you know, and Barbera from Piemonte and just really cool stuff. And then at the end of it all, I play a 45-minute intimate concert and then, of course, you know, some cool renditions of Bad Company. So 45 minutes of uninterrupted music, but now are you singing while you're cooking as well? 
No, we have music playing. I have All right, okay. my speaker. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and do you never go and pick up the guitar with your greasy hands and play a little bit? Or do you see? Do you... <laughs> when I want to play slide, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try not to get my guitar all greasy. Okay. First of all, which of those three ingredients, music, food, and wine, are really the foundation for a great meal? Are they all equally important? Do you think about the music first when you're planning a meal? Or do you think about the wine? Or do you think about the food? Or does it change from event to event? It certainly changes from event to event. Really? Okay. Most of the time I'm thinking about, okay, what's the dish going to be? You know, where is it from? What wine are we going to pair with? And then the music. But you know what? Even though it's one, two, three, they're all really, really close. Okay. Now let's talk about the relationship between music and wine for a second, because Mm -hmm. I have some very close friends that are really, really good at the wine tasting business. And I'm thinking of one in particular who really understands the relationship between wine and music and very carefully engineers the music in the tasting room to the wines that are being poured. Do you think it's that important? And do you give it that much consideration? And if so, how do you go about it? What is the Paul Cullen formula for pairing wine and music? When I'm planning the whole night out, you know, I've already got an idea what music I'll be using. So I pick the vibe of the night. I can kind of tell that when I get there by the people that are at the party. You know, I kind of read the crowd like I do with the food and with the wine also. So it's the crowd that's going to determine the music more than the food or the wine. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. In the cases that I've experienced, for sure. Yeah. Okay. But are are there times when you actually just sit down and you say, here's going to be my set list for the night. Here's the food that I'm going to create and here's the wine and they're perfect and here's why? Uh, I think for me, the music is the vibe part. So I don't really pick the songs in particular, but I'll pick what musician I think could create the vibe for that night. You know, I start with an artist. I don't really pick out the exact songs. And then what about your music? Of course, I intertwine that throughout the night, but then I save that for the end. You know, when they're sitting there intensively listening to me, you know, I have a chance to reel them in with my music, you know, while they're having, you know, a glass of wine and they've just had a phenomenal meal. So that's one of my favorite things is that when I do these concerts after I've cooked and given them wine, they're attentive. They listen to every breath and every note that I play. And to me, I just love that. That makes me happier than happy. You know, I've got them. That's what we call it. I've got them. Of course, they do have a nice little buzz. And of course, a wine buzz is one of the best buzzes we know. (laughs) And then, of course, you know, Italian food, it's comfy, it's cozy. And, you know, sometimes these events lead out to the fire pit. And uh, then that's a whole bunch of fun when I'm playing out by the fire pit and they pull out some cigars and some bourbon or scotch. Then the party begins. We're talking to Paul Cullen, rock star turned personal chef, personal sommelier and personal serenader because he brings all three elements together. This is a guy who loves music, wine, and food probably as much as I do. I wasn't going to say more than me, by the way, Paul, because you know me. You don't want to get into that contest. I aspire to be you. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Then you'll be aspiring to find a good dietitian. Anyway, you've been doing this for a number of years now, but the whole thing has gotten very successful for you. And I just think it's such a great idea. But I want to ask you for a moment about the role of music and food because when I sit down to dinner with friends or even when my wife and I sit down and have dinner at home by ourselves, there's never music on. And I sometimes have to catch myself because music is such a a great part of the food and wine experience. I know. And you know what? I have to actually say, 
hey, can you put some music on, <laughs> please? Because for one thing, I don't like silence. And the other thing is because I've been in rock and roll all my life, my ears ring. I think part of the reason that I am what I am and, and what I do is because of my mom. You know, my mom had music on all the time. How much more do you enjoy a glass of wine when there's music involved versus when there's not? At least three times, I got to think. I don't ever do it. Got to make sure music's on before we pop that bottle. Yeah, it's a very interesting experiment that I'd like to encourage all listeners to do, by the way. Take a group of wines, get a group of friends together, and sit and try those wines and have everybody give the wines a score. Then scramble those wines up. Don't tell your party guests that you're serving exactly the same wines, but pour them again. It's all going to be poured in the blind. And you will probably find that when you pour them a second time with music on, they enjoy the wine a lot more. And there are studies that reliably substantiate the notion that, for instance, music played in minor keys will cause somebody to enjoy a big wine like a Cabernet or a Syrah or Petite Syrah 60% more, Paul. 60% more. Can you believe that? Yeah, of course. You know, I love Italian wines. You know, something in a minor key could be something kind of dark and scary like a big Barolo or something. Yeah. Or a Brunello or something like that. So how many Bad Company songs are in minor keys? You know, there's quite a few, actually. They're bigger hits. You know, Feel Like Making Love, Ready for Love. Those are happy, major key songs. But they definitely had a few. Uh, Good Love and Gone Bad was uh, in a minor key. What about the song Bad Company? You know, it's weird. It's one of those songs that's not either. But when I play it, I kind of slide toward the minor side of it. Ah. And uh, it seems to work really well. Because I do an acoustic nylon string version of it that's just really cool. And I kind of lean toward the minor notes, which you can play either one on there. You know, which is it's one of those kind of songs. All right. Well, we're going to have to have you play a little of it in a minor key sometime. Maybe when we go to break, you grab your guitar. (laughs) Sure. Would you do that? We need 30 seconds of it. And then what we'll do is this. We're going to take a quick break for commercials. Everybody go grab a big red wine. Uh, We're going to do this. It's going to be crude, but we'll give it a shot. All right? Sounds great. Okay, Paul, stick with us. We're going to do this little experiment when we come back. You're listening to Grape Encounters Radio with my very special guest, Paul Cullen, formerly uh, with Bad Company, the bass player in the early 90s. But then he really made it big with food and wine and music as he runs the business Tune Your Palate, which is where you can have him cook for you, choose your wines for you, and then play music for you. We'll return with more Grape Encounters right after this. sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works. Perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. 
Want to learn more? Simply click the Corbin link online at GrapeEncounters.com. Oh, wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Corbin at GrapeEncounters.com. Grape Encounters Radio is always on the lookout for great story ideas, even if they're completely and totally off the wall. So here's the deal. Share your story ideas with me or send a question you'd like to hear answered on the show. If I use your question or suggestion, I'll send you a special gift from EpicStyle.com. I want to know what you want to know. You can contact me on the Grape Encounters Radio group page on Facebook or email david at grapeencountersradio.com. If you've got something for me, I've got something for you. If you'd like to hear more no-nonsense talk about wine and all the fun that goes with it, check out winetalkshow.com. At winetalkshow.com, you'll find a massive library of content for fun-loving, unpretentious people who aren't afraid to step outside the lines and challenge conventional wisdom. We'll take you places you've never been before. That's a promise. Expand your wine horizons in unimaginable ways at winetalkshow.com. He's back, and he's not alone. Your Grape Encounter continues with David Wilson and a little help from his friends. We are back with Grape Encounters Radio, and we're doing something pretty spontaneous here. I didn't think this was going to happen today, but how much fun is this? Now, hopefully you have all gone and gotten yourself a glass of a big red wine, Cabernet, Syrah, Petite Syrah, Petite Verdot, something like that. We have Paul Cullen on the line. He is the brainchild behind Tune Your Palette, was also the bass player for legendary rock group Bad Company back in the early 80s. And Paul, you've got us on the speakerphone now, right? I do. Okay, so we're doing an experiment all across America. We have asked everybody to get a glass of a big red wine. And we were talking a minute ago about research that was done that showed that people who listen to music in a minor key actually liked big reds about 60% better on average. Is that amazing? That is. Unbelievable. So then we were talking about bad company hits and how many were written in minor keys. And then I immediately went to the signature bad company tune, the song Bad Company itself. You said that it's neither in a minor nor a major key. I don't really know what that means, but you play it in a minor key. So now we're going to experiment. So everybody by now has had sips of their wine and enjoyed it without the help of this experiment and the music. And now someone let you just jump into it, Paul. Okay, here we go. All right. I was one in my hand behind a gun. Make my final stand. Yeah. That's why they call me Bad Company. I can't deny. Company till the day I die. Oh yeah, love it. 
I love it. And you know what's amazing, Paul? I'm actually drinking a very inexpensive red wine right now. Uh-huh. And while I was listening to the music, it tasted like an Amarone to me. I was going to say, bump it up at least $60. Yeah, a $12 <laughs> bottle of wine tasted like a $100 bottle of wine. Thanks to you. Unbelievable. I'm going to have to bottle that and sell that. <laughs> you know what? It was a completely scientific experiment. No margin of error whatsoever. <laughs> None at all. No, zero (laughs) percent. Hey, so what made you go from bass player to acoustic lead and jazz? Well, I think as a young boy, my mom was a music lover. In fact, she played accordion uh, when she was in high school. And it was always music on. What she liked is Jose Feliciano, Sergio Mendez in Brazil 66, Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, and the Beatles. So we used to have one of those record players that, you know, the records would fall down, and when it was done, the next one would drop down. Yeah, that was so cool. Oh, it was awesome. So it would go Jose Feliciano, the Beatles, Sergio Mendez, the Beatles, Herb Albert and Tijuana Brass, the Beatles. Because of all that, you know, I actually do really cool Latin jazzy versions of Beatles. Very mixed up kid. Well, there's no doubt about that. So in 1980, at 20 years old, I decided to become a musician after uh, being a jock in high school. And I picked up the bass from a suggestion from a very good friend who's still a very good friend of mine. So I picked up the bass. And then six months later, I was playing six nights a week, making $400 a week playing country music. And then nine years later, I was playing in Bad Company. Wow. (laughs) I'm a firm believer. You put yourself in the way of luck. Yeah. I put myself right in the way of it. So you have become a major wine lover and you actually owe that to the guys in Bad Company, right? right? Sure. Mick Rouse, the original guitar player. One night we were doing an overnighter. Just happened to be me and him on the bus. Everybody else flew to the next event. And uh, I had a chance to hang out with him on the back of the bus. And he said, do you like red wine? And I said, well, I don't know. The last red wine I had was my grandfather's Chianti. So he said, ah, you'll have to try this Chateauneuf de Pop. And I'm like, uh, what the, what the, what? <laughs> yeah. And he, uh, he pulled it out and it was amazing. From the first sip, I was a huge fan. I still am a huge fan. And, and you know what? In those days, it would not have been a good thing, I think, for it to have leaked out that rock stars from Bad Company were drinking wine. That was not fashionable in those days. No. But of course it is now. All rock stars have their own wines, which you know, <laughs> I actually, as you know, I did a couple of years ago. I had my own wine from uh, the Sierra Foothills. I know. I just wish more of the rock stars that have wines really cared about the wine that was in the bottle because a lot of people, I think, have a misconception that they can just put their name, their label, their band logo on a bottle of wine and it will sell. And actually it will sell, but right. it's more of a gimmick than anything else, I think. There are some people that do make some seriously good wine. Fergie and her dad have a winery called Ferguson's Crest. And uh-huh. I've always been a little irritated by the fact that on the website, there are photographs of Fergie, arguably one of the most beautiful women in rock and roll, stomping grapes, but she's wearing plastic hip waders. Wouldn't you rather have a wine made by Fergie where she crushed the grapes between her toes? Oh, yeah, for sure. Maybe not any, you know, at all. Just, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, okay, well, <laughs> I don't know. That's not ever going to happen. But nobody would care yeah, I know. whether you and I, in fact, they would prefer that you and I put the hip waders on. But Oh, yeah, for sure. With Fergie, totally different thing. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, Paul, great having you on today. I really appreciate it. And thanks for sharing a Jazzy Bad Company moment. If people want to learn more about Paul's Enterprises, the food, wine, and music experience of a lifetime, it's paulcullen.net. That's correct, paulcullen.net. Or you can just Google me, Paul Cullen, and put Bad Company in there, and my website comes right up, number one. Yeah, and that's not to say that Paul is bad company, because he's good company, especially when he's cooking for you. No doubt about it. All right, Paul. 
Hey, I appreciate it very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you again sometime soon. And don't be a stranger. And we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. It's time to take a quick break. It'll take just enough time for us to uncork your next Grape Encounter. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free trade chocolate-covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there and bottles of two horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Simply click the Coravin link online at GrapeEncounters.com. A wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. Now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. If you come home very late, you just might find me in a state. Chardonnay is my best friend without you. I said, hey, hey, Chardonnay, hey, hey, Chardonnay, Chardonnay is my best friend without you. I said, hey, hey, Chardonnay, hey, hey. with Grape Encounters Radio, and if you are a Chardonnay lover, then you are going to love this segment of Grape Encounters Radio, because I'm going to tell you about an event that is going on in the U.S. of A, out on the left coast, and it's coming up at the end of this month, May 28th through the 30th, and it is all things Chardonnay at the International Chardonnay Symposium. 
They've been doing this event for about five or six years now, and it has been mostly a regional event, but this year they have turned it into an international event. And this really is an amazing, amazing opportunity to explore the world of Chardonnay, to be literally immersed in it. And it's not that often, really, that you see a single varietal getting so much attention paid to it. So I'm very pleased to welcome to the show one of my favorite people, and she is the director of this event, Linda Parker Sanpei. And uh, Linda, I think this is the first time we've actually gone on the air together. I know, this is exciting. We're usually sitting in the same room, but not on the air together. So thank you for having me to talk about that. Yeah, but you're the big kahuna here. Yeah, right. Thank you. And this is an exciting event. This has gotten a major overhaul from previous years, and you guys have set your sights incredibly high on the event. Give us a rundown in terms of what it means to be an international symposium. And that term symposium might be a little stuffy for Grape Encounters Radio, so we're going to have to find a way to soften that up a bit. Well, it's going to be anything but stuffy. So your listeners will have a great time coming out to the event. Maybe we could call it a symposium. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so take us to step one and tell us why an international symposium and where do you expect to have people coming in from and who are these people? Absolutely. Chardonnay is the most popular white wine grape around the world and so beautifully expressed depending on where you're sourcing the grape and who is making the wine. So bringing folks from around the globe to celebrate this grape varietal is really a way of showcasing the different expressions that you can have in Chardonnay, whether it be from Chablis or from Australia. We have some folks coming in from South America and, of course, throughout the U.S. as well. So the idea is that, especially if you're attending just to experience Chardonnays from around the world, you're going to get a really good chance to be able to do that side by side with these wines. How many winemakers will be at the event? There will be roughly 70 winemakers at the 70. event. 70. Mm-hmm. And there will be different wines poured at Friday's Grand Tasting versus Saturday's Grand Tasting. But all Chardonnay? All Chardonnay or sparkling Chardonnay. Or could it be a blend that contains Chardonnay? It does. It, it can be as long as the primary grape varietal is Chardonnay. Okay, so at least 50% Chardonnay. 75%. And 75%. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're playing by the book. Absolutely. We want to showcase Chardonnay here. So that in and of itself is an exciting thing because most people know that I operate a wine tasting room, the Grape Encounters Emporium. And that's one of the things I like to do is put the same varietal, but from different regions side by side. When you drink wines that way, you really get a much better understanding of what the difference is between a California Chardonnay and a Burgundian Chardonnay. Absolutely. The culturists will be there on hand too. So it'll be a perfect opportunity for the consumers to be one-on-one with these wine makers and really ask them technical questions or learn more about their region. So when I hear the term symposium, and I made a little joke about it earlier, it sounds very educationally oriented, and there are going to be a lot of seminars and that sort of thing. Are they geared to the trade? Are they geared to the consumer? Are there seminars for both? How does that work? That's a great question. They are geared towards both. There are some seminars that are very technically focused. And so those will, I assume, be focused more on the vintners, growers, and folks in the industry. Well, also, don't forget, there's a very important segment of this wine world. And that's the person who wants to impress a date. 
you know, just got a brand new Porsche or a Tesla, maybe. So you take your date in the Tesla and then you start spewing all of the things you learned at the Chardonnay Symposium. Absolutely. And then you bring out something that's amazing to drink. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Then really impress her. You won't be drinking the cheap stuff after this. No. So to answer your question, there are some symposiums such as to oak or not to oak or the fashion of Chardonnay that will be focused potentially more on the trade. But there is also a beautiful cheese and wine pairing with the Wisconsin Cheese Board. And that will be paired with various Chardonnays. They're coming all the way from Wisconsin? Can you believe it? Really? Yeah. Maybe next year we'll get them from, who knows, New Zealand. (laughs) How'd you get them to come? Will they be wearing those cheese hats? You know, I'm I'm hoping they do so they can stand out. You know, I have one of those, actually. I would wear it to the event. I'm counting on you to be that person. Yeah. Okay. So cheese hats it is. So Wisconsin Cheese Board will be there. That's big time. That's big time. And, and also, we have Bob Bath from the Culinary Institute of America hosting a symposium at Edna Valley Winery. And that will be followed by a lunch by Chef Vache from the Cracked Pepper in Fresno. It's one of the hottest restaurants in the Valley. Apparently, it takes months to get in there. And we actually have him here preparing lunch after. Yeah, this is kind of an interesting place because Fresno is, you know, really a community built around farming more than anything else. And if you listen to a radio station there, you know, you hear about tractors, not cars, Mm -hmm. you know. But for some reason, this restaurant, and I haven't had a chance to go there yet, but for some reason, this restaurant has risen out of this area that's very rural and classic Americana and is getting this huge huge amount of attention. Absolutely. It's getting lots of attention. And so we we're fortunate to have him here Saturday at the event. We also have another tasting on Saturday that'll be exciting for your listeners. And that will be a retrospective tasting. And that will be held in Pismo Beach. And uh, Mount Eden will be there as well as Hansel, two classic Chardonnay producers from Northern California. They're going to be tasting some back vintages and current vintages together. And that will be moderated by the one and only Fred Dame, Master Sommelier. Wow. No kidding. Now, how far back do you know are those wines going to go? Yeah, some of those wines will go back to 2006. So uh, there'd be a 2008 as well, 2011. So real mixture of vintages as well as their current release. So I think there's one thing that is really, really important to point out where Chardonnay is concerned. And, and Chardonnay isn't necessarily my go-to wine, but I, m- I must tell you, the quality of Chardonnays today are better than they have ever been. And I think Chardonnay, this is just a personal opinion, it went too far in one direction Mm -hmm. and then it recoiled too far back in another direction. And now, like the porridge in the Three Bears story, it is just right. It is just right. So, And actually, what I think also happened was Chardonnays split into factions. There was the heavy oak faction, the light oak faction, and the no oak faction. Right. And we've chosen our sides now. And so we've got three at least decidedly different styles of Chardonnay making. And if you didn't like one, you'll like the other. Absolutely. And that's what the Fashion of Chardonnay Symposium is going to be about. The vintners there are going to be showing how Chardonnay has evolved from the the very oaked to the, the now the naked Chardonnay with no oak whatsoever. And talking about the balance 
balance structure in both of them. And, and one is pleasing to, uh, to one person and the other person doesn't want any oak at all. And so it, it'll be an interesting debate to listen to. And that will be Friday at the Sea Venture. I just think that the existence of so many differences in Chardonnays that are out there is really important to understand. And, you know, I've had people say to me, I don't like Chardonnays. Well, what do you drink? Well, I, I like to drink white burgundies. It's like, uh, well, <laughs> guess what? You're, you're drinking it. You're drinking Chardonnay. You just didn't know it. And it's just a matter of, you know, in that case, the old world style versus new world style probably is the biggest difference. And you can learn what that's all about as well. But I want to point this out before we finish this conversation, because it's so important. The wine industry in the United States is maybe one of the most respectable, successful points of pride that we have in this country. I mean, it's something that we do better than almost anybody on earth. Personally, I think we do do it better than that, but I don't want to offend anybody in Europe. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we can't alienate our guests. So to that point, it is because of Chardonnay that we have the wine industry that we have today in California and beyond. It's because a man by the name of Mike Gergich entered a Chardonnay from then a little known winery in Northern California in the Napa Valley. And it was entered into a contest in France in 1976. It's known as the Judgment of Paris. The California Chardonnay won. And that's what gave us the industry that we have today. That was the catalyst. That was the boulder that was put on the catapult. So if you're not a Chardonnay fan, at least give it what it's due because it was because of Chardonnay that we are who we are in the world of wine and we are center stage. Absolutely. And How is that for standing that, on a soapbox? That is fabulous. And may I tell you also, Gurkic is going to be there. So you will be able to taste that wine alongside some amazing other wines. I've actually tasted his wines from the 70s. Mike's a good friend of mine and the show and a wonderful man. He's got to be now 93. I think he's probably 93 now and still very active. Yes, he is very active in, in the wine community. So um, he along, uh, he not personally, but his wines will be showcased there along with wines, as I mentioned earlier, from South America, South Africa, from Australia, potentially from New Zealand as well and throughout the U.S. All right. Well, that's fantastic. So we really wanted to give you a, a heads up on this event. If you are listening uh, anywhere in the U.S., this is a signature wine event. It's a biggie. It's one that, especially if you're a Chardonnay lover or a Burgundy lover, you want to come to this event. There's going to be so much to do. And then while you're you're out here, you can explore the Central Coast and have a great time. Some of the events are going on in Pismo Beach, you know, which is one of the great famous beaches of the U.S. And Avila Beach as well. And, uh, yes. And, and Edna Valley. And I was just down in Pismo last weekend and I was astounded at how many really cool hotels there are. There are just, there got to be hundreds of hotels in that town. And then one of the most pristine beaches that you'll ever see. Mm -hmm. So this is a vacation you might want to plan. And I'm just telling you, because, you know, I don't always highlight events, but I really am big on this one. I think this is going to be major, major, major and really great fun. It's going to be great fun. And your listeners can go to the Chardonnaysymposium.com to learn more about the events. Okay, so it's the Chardonnay Symposium, not the I'm going to be having a side event. It's going to be called the Chardonnay Symposium. So write me separately. You can contact me on grapeencounters.com and you'll get a private invitation to the secret Chardonnay Symposium. 
And I'm going to be drinking Chardonnay at the symposium. All right. (laughs) Well, how do you know that the symposium won't be a subset of the symposium? Time will tell. You know, I'm a crafty little deviant. Yes, you are. That I know. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the Chardonnay Symposium, but not for the show coming up next. A good friend to both Linda and me, Sarah Schneider, the wine editor from Sunset Magazine. And I see her approaching the studio as we speak. The lovely Miss Sarah. Welcome. All right. Linda Parker Sanpei, thank you very much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you so much. It was so much fun doing this with you. And I will see you at the International Chardonnay Symposium May 28th through the 30th in Avila Beach, Pismo Beach, and other places well within reach. We'll be back with more Grave Encounters right after this. Chocolates, Chardonnay, and Billy Holiday. Who needs you? You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson. sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works. Perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Simply click the Coravin link online at grapeencounters.com. A wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free trade chocolate covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there and bottles of two horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. I got a feeling that tonight's gonna be a good night. She's earthy, honest, and sipping each week as a service to you. From Sunset Magazine, it's Sarah Schneider, and this is Sipping with Sarah on Grape Encounters Radio. That tonight's gonna be a good night. 
that tonight's gonna be a good night. And we are back with Rape Encounters, and it is time for Sipping with Sarah. And Sarah, I'm very excited that we're doing this, and you surprised me with this. I'm glad I can do that occasionally. Um, This is a wine from a category of wines that has just come across my radar lately. And And the category is what? The category is Celebrity Wines. And this one's from... Fergie. Yes, it's from Fergie. She's tied for a sexiest woman on earth. (laughs) All right. I'm going to tell you something. I love her. And I really mean that. I have seen her perform two or three times with the Black Eyed Peas. Have you? Oh, yeah. And she is just an amazing, wonderful performer, but is really good to her audience. And she's teamed up with her dad and started this winery, Ferguson Crest. And why don't you jump into it and give whatever background you feel like giving? Well, this is from Santa Barbara County, central coast of California. And I think it's interesting that you started talking about how good a person she seems like to you. Because when these celebrity wines come across my desk, wines that sports figures or musicians or actors have put their names to, I immediately want to know, is this a good person? Because I think heart comes out in wine. And if they're making a bad wine, something's wrong there. And of course, it has to do with how much are they involved? Do they just put their name on it as a brand? This, I understand, is a very hands-on project between Fergie and her dad. And they used to grow a lot of things together. And this is a chance for them to grow wine grapes together and sort of share in the label, the, the project. They do have another wine winemaker who is the hands-on winemaker here. But I understand this is very much a project of love for them. Well, that's exactly what I've heard about the wines. And this really is my first opportunity to taste the wine. Have you sipped yet? No, I've smelled. And what did you think of the smell? I am intrigued. I think we're working with some really good wine here. Okay. So the wine that we're going to try is a Syrah from 2011. I'm pretty sure that you would be able to get this wine wherever you're at. I'm sure they could probably ship it to you. I think so. But, you know, the interesting thing about this wine that I can say for sure is this. They don't exploit Fergie's fame at all with this mm-hmm. wine. Her name, by the way, is actually Stacy Ferguson. And that's how she got the nickname Fergie. See, I didn't even know that. I didn't well, know her first name. I'm sorry that I haven't gotten to this wine sooner because it's been very interesting to me. And I, every once in a while, will kind of check in on their webpage to see if there's any pictures of Fergie stomping the grapes in a bikini. I mean, uh, to check and see if they've got any new releases. But right. you'll see that even when you go to the webpage, you know, there aren't a bunch of concert photos there and a bunch of sexy Fergie photos no. there. At least there weren't last time I checked. There are just a dad and his daughter doing something that's a labor of love. And I think this is 100% different than the celebrities who are going and finding a cheap wine and getting their name put on it and don't know the first thing about wine and aren't making the wine and then are charging four times or five times what the wine is worth because having their name on the label will generate sales that that wine would never have generated without it. Exactly. And I there's with, a lot of that. Without naming names, I, I know of brands who have prominent names on them who, you know, you hear things behind the scenes and you know that they have come to the large wine companies to make their 
wines. And then they've created stories. Some of them are just the most poetic, beautiful, personal stories um, on their websites. And you know from behind the scenes that they don't even know where that vineyard is. It's strictly a licensing deal in a way. But I don't believe that Ferguson Crest is such an animal. So we got the Syrah and I've already sipped it, Sarah. I'm stuck on the nose. It is a deep, dark nose. And it reminds me of a phrase I heard when I was asking a maker of Syrah what he expects on the nose when he sticks his nose in it. And he said, blueberries and blood. And blueberries <laughs> and blood. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know, there is dark blue fruit on this. The blueberries are there. And by blood, I think he meant sort of that cured meat quality that Syrah can, can have. It's kind of wild and it has an iron rich side to it, almost an herbal, crushed herb side to it. I think I really need to take a sip now. I, I think you better. Well, look at the look on your face. I can't, I normally can read your looks. I can't read this one. <laughs> Um, what does that mean? It's a good reaction. That's a good reaction. Yeah, that it's blueberries and blood all the way through the palate. It Hang follows on, so through exactly. The tip of my finger off here and see, see what if you're you talking get about. Blueberries and blood. Well, the, the first thing that I noticed was it had a very old world quality yeah. to it, not a new world quality. This is a wine that is very soft on the palate. And this wine has to have a lot less alcohol than most Syrahs. You want to guess? Oh, I actually think this is under 14. You're right. I'll bet you want to guess again? 13.2. You want to guess again? Really? You tell me. 13. Really? Yeah. That's about as old yeah. world as you can get. It is, but it, it was an old world year. This is 2011. Yeah. And that was a really, really cool vintage. And Santa Barbara County is a cooler place in general. I think this is a delightful wine. Yeah, I do mm. too. I don't think it's as fruit forward as no. a lot of the Syrahs that come out of that area. I think this is a much more restrained, laid back wine. Lean and delicate. And for anybody that thinks that Syrah is a little too over the top. This is an easy drinking wine. It delivers a core of sweet, dark berry fruit that I think satisfies. It's incredibly well balanced. You know what I would pair this wine with? Tell. Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> All right. Two thumbs up for Ferguson Crest. You can go to fergusoncrest.com, find out more about the wine. I have one last thing I do want to say on the air. We have a radio station, an affiliate right next door to Ferguson Crest. So if you know Fergie or her dad, please pass along this message from David Wilson. And I know Sarah would never stoop this low. So this is strictly for me. Okay. Fergie, on the website, there's a picture of you stomping the grapes and you're in hip waders. Fergie, put on something sexy like you wear on at the concert stage and stomp the grapes barefooted because I think every man in America would love to have a bottle of wine and consume it knowing that your bare feet had touched it. Was that the most disgusting <laughs> male was, chauvinist pig thing to say? That was shameless, David. It was. And Fergie, we'd love to have you on the show. So anytime you want to get together with Sarah and I, just give us a buzz. Absolutely. Would we drive down there for her? We would. We would? We would go. Okay, yeah. we'll come to you. All right, that's going to do it for Grape Encounters Radio for today. What a way to go out what with a little guess. Ferguson Crest. We'll see you next week, and thank you, Sarah Schneider. My pleasure. Thanks, so David. Delicious. 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 Delicious.